Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from multiple locations in the San Gabriel Valley of sunny Southern California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead people to Jesus, a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you and opens your heart and inspires you to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Hey, Real Life Church, Happy New Year. It's good to be with you again. It's Pastor Jim, and I am looking forward to continuing in this series that we just started last week. We are here at the beginning of the year looking at five core disciplines that every Christian should do, every Christian should implement in their lives if you want to live a thriving life in 2024. 2024 may be a bumpy year, but there are five core practices that Christians have done throughout history. And if you do these five, you will not come to a day where you're saying, I just feel bored. There's nothing going on. I'm not fulfilled. Uh, these are these are five practices that bring meaning to your lives. And today we're going to get to number one. Uh, and uh, all, I, all I need is the next five weeks of your life. If you'll give me five weeks, uh, we can do this together. We're also uh, starting this weekend here at the church. We're starting a 21-day fast. Often at Real Life in January, we'll have what's called a Daniel fast because it comes from the book of Daniel in the Bible, where for about three weeks, Daniel abstained from the rich foods of Babylon to dedicate himself to preparing himself for what the Lord had called him to. So for 21 days in uh, in January, I'm encouraging you, I'm going to do this myself, to pick something from which you will abstain. And during those three weeks, as you abstain from it, use that uh, that uh, awareness of, of something missing in your life to focus on prayer. Uh, I'll, I'll be following Daniel's habit and committing to a vegetarian diet for three weeks. And during those three weeks, every time my my diet has changed and I'm, I'm thinking about what I'm eating, it's, it's a way of reminding me to pray, God, I only want to be nourished by you. I only want to be satisfied by you. And it's an important way to start the year with 21 days of concentrated prayer uh, for what's to come. So I'd encourage you to do the same. If you don't want to take on a vegetarian diet, you might give up something like coffee or desserts or even social media, something that you uh, you might be better off without and spend the first three weeks, uh, instead of indulging in that thing, uh, spending time in, in prayer for the year to come. So that's what we're going to do. Hey, let's uh, let's start in prayer and we'll get into today's study. Pray with me. Lord, thank you that you call us to yourself, that you work through uh, all the distractions of this world that would pull us away from you because you love us so much that you won't let us go. Uh, I ask that as we focus on your word, that you'd open up our hearts to concentrating on you, not only today, but this year, that we dedicate this year to you as we dedicate this moment to you. And as we do, send your spirit, fill us with your spirit. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. All right, uh, here we go. Um, I want to talk to you today about living a life of worship, because if you want to be a fulfilled follower of Jesus, uh, a life of worship is a critical component of that, the first of our, our five disciplines of life. And when you, when you think of worship, you may just think of a Sunday morning experience, or you may just think of singing songs, but, but worship is a, a more full, more rich concept than that. 
Uh, Sunday morning worship is a component of that. Sabbath worship is a component of that, but it's a it's a rich daily uh, activity. And I'll, I'll start by telling you a little about my experience of worship and see if this resonates with you. My experience of worship has been through three different stages as, as I was growing up. It, it started with a stage of ritual where worship was a matter of doing the same practices each week because putting that routine in your life was important. So every Sunday morning, my family got dressed up and we went off to church and uh, I went to churches in the deep south that were not really designed for children. Uh, children were uh, to be seen and not heard or maybe not even seen. And uh, I uh, often would go off to a Sunday school class that was not fun like the Sunday school classes at Real Life Church. Uh, and we were given lectures from the Bible because the idea was we needed to get facts into our head. And my parents would go off to big church. And on the occasions that I would sit through big church, that was not any more interesting than kids' church. I remember one time going to a Sunday school class, and I was the only child in the class. There were no other kids that Sunday. And I sat in a chair in front of a, a chalkboard, and a teacher gave a lecture for an hour to a child who was by themselves in this classroom. A chalkboard kids is back in the day before there was digital media, we didn't have anything to write with. So we'd take basically what was just like a, a clod of dirt from the ground and we'd, we'd write on the wall with it like a bunch of Neanderthals. And that was a chalkboard. And so we learned the Bible by listening to just long lectures with somebody with a piece of chalk uh, telling us what we needed to know. So, so Ritual was not a meaningful part of my faith life. It was, it was there. It was what we did. It was how I knew and experienced church, but it's not what I call worship today. And some people have gotten into a routine of worship. That's what they grew up with, and that's all they know, and they think that's what God wants from them. It's like when you go to work, and you punch in, and you don't really want to be there, so you do as little as possible all day long, and then you punch out again. And it was not a meaningful experience, and you didn't like it. But as long as that punch card shows that you were there, you get paid. And there are people who think that worship is this experience where you punch in maybe once a week, maybe just at the holidays, you punch in. And if you've punched in enough, then when you get to heaven, you get paid. Well, I'm here to tell you that's not what worship is. Worship is far better than that. But for me, that was a first stage of worship. That was the first thing I experienced related to worship. I moved from a ritual stage to a rational stage. In my teenage years, and especially in my college years, I moved to a stage where I began to contemplate the faith. And I like this a lot more than the ritual phase. Uh, this was meaningful for me because I've always been a little bit inclined to the academic. And so reading books about Christianity and talking with other Christians and speculating about theology and the nature of God, I actually found this uh, much more meaningful than what I had experienced before. And, and it started to make sense of things that I had not understood when I was a kid sitting in that classroom. Because I realized when I got to college, I knew stories from the Bible, but I had no idea how they fit together. I knew stories about Noah and the ark and Daniel in the lion's den and Jonah and the whale. And I realized I know all the animal stories from the Bible because kids like zoos. And the only things they would teach us in Sunday school was about animals because they figured we'd like it. It's how we put up with the hour-long lectures. They tell us the animal stories from the Bible. Well, I, I went to college and I, and I got sort of a... Uh, 
view from 30,000 feet of the scriptures, and all of a sudden the story became a cohesive whole that made sense to me. And that was a rich experience in my life. However, I noticed my experience of gathering for corporate worship was still pretty flat. When I would sit in a church on Sunday morning, we'd sing songs. It, it largely was an empty experience, and what I looked forward to was a, a good sermon, a good meaningful message communicated. And the only time that singing, that worship through song was meaningful to me was when I would gather with a college fellowship group uh, around a campfire or in an apartment, and somebody would pull out a guitar and we would sing songs that were written for our generation and our ears. The, the songs that we would sing in church might have made my grandparents happy, but they were pretty meaningless to me. Uh, but there was this, this new movement of worship that was uh, designed for the modern ear, and that resonated with me, that connected with me. But it was still only a, a second stage of worship, and I didn't realize at the time things would get, get deeper still. I started with a stage of ritual. I moved to a stage uh, that was rational, but finally, I, I moved into a stage of worship that was relational. Uh, and this is important. And if you haven't experienced this, then there's more to come. In your walk of faith, there are better things yet to come. I moved into a stage that was relational. And I don't mean my relationships with other people. I mean my relationship with Jesus. And I remember one of the first times that I actually uh, was gathered for worship and singing songs. And I imagined myself addressing the songs to Jesus himself, that I was really singing to him. And you can imagine the intimacy of singing to someone, of singing to honor someone, not just because you're doing it because everyone else is doing it, not just doing it because you're waiting to get the singing part over so you can get to the message, but because there was a part of your heart that was so thankful that it was overflowing with praise. And that's where the experience of worshiping in song became very deep and very rich for me. And not long after that, I began to experience the Holy Spirit in ways that I had not. Uh, the Holy Spirit invited me into deeper experiences of worship with my whole heart. And that is an essential, vital part of being a Christian. If you want to follow Jesus and do so in a way that is fulfilling and meaningful and purposeful, worship has to be a part of your daily experience and a built-in habit of your weekly Sabbath. For me, worship moved from a ritual experience to a rational experience to a relational experience. And each step along the way, it's only gotten deeper and more meaningful. This is why when the Jewish people describe worship in their scriptures, they do so in terms that are glowing. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 6, one of the most quoted passages in all the Hebrew scriptures. This one is, is deep to the Jewish people. Deuteronomy chapter 6 verses 4 through 9 reads this way. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. A heart of worship 
is committed to making Jesus the center of everything you do. That, that we seek him in the morning when we first get up. We gush about him around the dinner table at night. We take him to work with us and we give thanks to him as we go to sleep. We invite Jesus into every step and every part of our lives. Worship is where life becomes fulfilling. God is not just an idea in our heads. It's not just a routine that we check off. God is the thing that makes life meaningful moment by moment. And a life of worship is essential to following Jesus. Now, if you hear this passage in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 6 as a series of commands, do this, do this, do this, go through this checklist and check these off, you're listening to that text like a legalist, like the, the Pharisees of Jesus' day, the teachers of the law who only cared about the rules but lost the heart of worship. This passage is like instructions for how to throw a party and, and a kind of party that you love. It's, it's like this. Uh, imagine, imagine a couple different kinds of, of parties. First, imagine a, a wedding reception hosted by uh, a wedding uh, uh, a hostess, a, 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 not, a, not a food caterer, but somebody whose job it is to coordinate weddings. And she puts together a fabulous uh, event. The music is great. The food is delicious. Everything is well organized. People know where to sign in and put the gifts. The, uh, the uh, DJ announces everything appropriately. She does all this because it's her job. She has a very thorough checklist of what she needs to go through to make this event happen. She's doing this to serve a customer who's paying her to get it done right. She negotiates challenging personalities. She does this all with style and grace, and she encourages the, encourages the couple as she goes. Now that's a nice party, but her experience of that party is that it's work. It's what she does because it's her job. It's stressful and she might like it, but she doesn't have to like it. She just has to get it done. And that's one kind of party. But now I want you to imagine a, a different kind of party. Parties planned by someone on your church staff, someone named Stacy. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but here at Real Life Church, uh, Stacy is our party planner, and we have great parties because Stacy plans them. Uh, every party is bigger than the last one. Every party has new things that the last one didn't do, and every party brings in more people. Our adult attendance at this church went up by over 10% last year, and it's uh, partly because Stacy knows how to plan events that are a great front door to the church that people love to come to and bring their friends to. And I'm fairly convinced that even if the church were not hosting any parties at all, she would find some excuse to create big parties somewhere else. When we moved from our Valley Center location that we were renting to our Glendora location that we own, I said to Stacy, for the love of all things holy, can I just have one church campus that isn't covered with confetti all the time? Because she likes to shoot it out of cannons at every possible event, and it doesn't clean itself up. <laughs> so, so we, we have parties here at Real Life that, that you can see are, are just something we love to do. I, I told you in recent weeks, somebody once walked by our church and they, they stopped in and they said, hey, every time I walk past your church, people in here are laughing. Uh, do you have some kind of a fun church? I've never heard of a fun church before. And, uh, and that is, uh, that's how Stacy's wired. 
This is not a tangent. Uh, there's a difference in embracing the call to practice the faith because it's a duty and practicing the faith because you are so thankful that it overflows in joy and in worship. And that is how this passage is written. Do this, O Israel, because it just flows out of you. It's not a command to do it because you have to. It's, it's not just ritual. It's a, an explosion of our personal reaction to God. Because following Jesus is not just getting the facts right and doing your duties, right? Satan literally believes all the right doctrines about God. Satan knows everything there is to know uh, about God that can be known. But Satan's not going to be in heaven. Satan's not going to show up at the party that goes on forever in the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, thank God, what a drag he would be over there by the punch bowl going, this party's lame. I don't like this music. We should have more hymns. I don't like this. Trying to unspike the punch bowl right? Trying to turn the wine back into water. Like, it'd be terrible to have him there. So just getting the facts right is not sufficient. The, the description here in Deuteronomy 6 should be read more like this. Hear, O Israel, God is the best. He is the one above everything else. Make him the center of all that you do, and life will be so much more rich and beautiful and meaningful and thankful. Talk to your kids about him. Dwell on his goodness in the morning. Gush about him at the dinner table. Go to bed thankfully at night. Live a life of worship, and you will have rest for your soul. That's how this passage ought to be read. A life of worship overflows out of thanksgiving. And then uh, in Deuteronomy 6, God goes on in the, the next passage, and the next part of this passage and says, and remember, when you move into this land that you didn't buy or build, when you inherit vineyards that you didn't plant, don't forget me. Don't forget that I did this for you. Do not forget the Lord when you move into this place. The Hebrew faith does have a component that's ritual. We should keep the weekly habit of Sabbath worship, because if we're not going to take time each week to check in with God, we're going to get gummed up. It's exactly like tuning up your car. If you don't regularly reset the car back to the way it was designed, the, the junk that builds up on it will impede its function. And if you do not weekly spend time basking in the presence of Jesus, worshiping and giving thanks to him, the, the junk that builds up on your soul will impede your function. We need the weekly habit of Sabbath worship. It's not a holiday event. It's a weekly cycle. There's a, a component of the Hebrew faith that is rational, and that's important. We should study the scriptures and know the scriptures well and dwell on them and think about them daily and reflectively and immersively. There's nothing wrong with that. That's an important part of, of the Christian life. The last thing our culture needs is an ignorant Christian culture trying to speak into a, a highly educated secular culture. That has not worked well for Christians in recent decades. We should invest in the life of the mind. But the faith is fundamentally relational. This is the, the bedrock, the foundation uh, of, of the faith. We have to have a personal relationship with Jesus in which we look into his eyes when we sing to him. 
in which worship is an expression of thanksgiving because we know how much grace he has given us. When we move into a land that we didn't build and uh, homes that we didn't pay for and vineyards that we didn't plant, remember all good things that we have come from Jesus. There's an experience again in the New Testament of worship that Jesus praises, that Jesus says, this is how to do it. And it happens in Luke chapter 7 at verse 36. One of the Pharisees, remember this is the teacher of the law, the legalist, the ones who follow all the rules but miss the heart of worship. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, so Jesus went into the Pharisee's house and sat at the table. A sinful woman in the town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she brought an alabaster jar of perfume and stood behind Jesus at his feet, crying. She began to wash his feet with her tears, and she dried them with her hair, kissing them many times and rubbing them with the perfume. Now, I'm not going to read all the story. The Pharisee complains that she is a sinful woman, and if Jesus were really a prophet, he wouldn't let her touch him like that, because a prophet should remain distant from sinful people. And so he, in his mind, is uh, thinking terrible things about Jesus and this woman. And then Jesus tells a parable in which two people are forgiven for debts that they owed, one for a big debt and one for a little debt. And he says, which one's going to be more thankful? And Simon says, probably the one with the big debt. And Jesus says, that's right. And now he, now he closes by addressing how that parable speaks to this, this woman's situation. Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? When I came into your house, you gave me no water for my feet. That was a standard doorway greeting. Uh, you'd wash, walk around in the dirt all day and a servant would wash your feet when you went into someone's house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. You gave me no kiss of greeting, but she has been kissing my feet since I came in. You did not put oil on my head, which again was a, a kind of a, a product, a cleansing product that uh, people often used in that world. You, you did not put any oil on my head, but she poured perfume on my feet. I tell you that her many sins are forgiven. So she showed great love. But the person who is forgiven only a little will love only a little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The people sitting at the table began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, because you believed, you are saved from your sins. Go in peace. This, this woman comes to Jesus and her worship is not ritual. It's not law. It's not uh, following prescriptions. It's an overflowing of her heart because she realizes how much grace he has given her, how deeply she has been loved, despite the fact that she has probably been rejected by her community. The Pharisee, Simon, knows only rule following. He's a legalist, and he's done all the right things to signify that he worships God. And Jesus says, yeah, but you're, you're missing it. You're missing. You're like the one who is only forgiven a little, so he's not very thankful. She's been forgiven a lot, and so she's deeply thankful. Uh, the, the message of this passage to Simon is the same as the concluding passage in Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6 says, worship God with all your heart, give thanks for him, think about him all day long, and don't forget, when you inherit this land, don't forget, it came from me. Be thankful. Don't forget what I've done for you. The message in the New Testament passage is, 
Simon, you've forgotten. You've forgotten how much has been done for you. You don't realize how much has been done for you. A person who is deeply thankful will live a life of worship. And if you're not deep, deeply thankful, if you forget how much God has done for you, you're, you're not going to live a life of worship. The, the message of, of both of these passages is live a worshipful life. Make Sabbath keeping central to your weekly practice this year. And don't forget how much God has done for you. Live thankfully. Let your life overflow with a kind of party-making joy that is a signature of the kingdom of heaven. Wake up in the morning with thanksgiving. Gush about God around your dinner table. Take him to work with you. And at the end of the day, give thanks as you put your head down on your pillow. And don't forget how much good he has done for you. Don't forget how much grace he has shown you. Don't forget how much he loves you. Because if you live every day in that awareness, you will overflow in worship. And that's where meaningful life comes from. That's the first of our five core disciplines that we're going to look at in this series. Next week, I'll be back with number two. Pray with me. Jesus, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you have done so much for us from the perfect life that you lived and the, the life that you mapped out for us and your death on the cross for us. Thank you for all you've done to pave the way for us to live real life and new life in you. Jesus, bless our 2024 with deep worship. Teach us to wake up with thanksgiving to fill our days and our homes with your word. And at the end of the day, to remember that it all comes from you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. God bless you. Go be the church. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.